Bibles, I'd like you to open to the second book of Timothy, the end of the chapter, chapter 4. And I'd like to leave a uh, few words with you. And those few words are, it ain't over. It ain't over. You know, last, you were talking about the game here for a few moments while you're turning. And uh, I was reminded of what uh, Green Bay Packer coach Vince Lombardi once said about a loss that his team suffered. And he was very succinct. He said, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time. Well, hopefully as Christians, we won't run out of time for what the Lord has called us to do. And as you look at the second chapter of, uh, excuse me, the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, uh, we see Paul's charge to a young missionary, a son in the Lord, Timothy, and he says this in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his presence, of his appearance and his kingdom, I give you a charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, and with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather to themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's pray. Father God, as we pause to reflect on missions and a call of Christ upon our hearts and our lives to go to places where people have yet to hear the word of God or go to build new ministries or support ministries, Father, may we take to heart this call and, and challenge from Paul to Timothy. May it be a challenge to us today as we think about and pray about what you would have us to do with our lives. At this particular stage of our life, what would you have us to do in service for you today? For we thank you and praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. It ain't over till it's what? Over. Some people may say, well, it ain't over till Jesus comes back. This is true. But it ain't over till it's over. And Paul here is talking to Timothy, a young disciple of his who is now going to be going to the church at Ephesus and leading up the church there a place that Paul was familiar with and had some experience with, and yet he's sending this young man to serve the Lord in this town in which he endured a great hardship. And one of the things he says is that you're going to have people that are going to be out there that are not going to want to hear what you have to say. They are going to follow the one that will satisfy what they want to hear. If you're listening to what the world is saying today and you're following what's going on with what people are doing today, you'll realize they're listening for something that's going to please them. And you know, there is somebody out there that's going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. And that'll justify it for them. They'll make it all right. 
all I have to do is just stay true to this particular guy over here. It doesn't really matter whether he's right or wrong, but it justifies the way I feel and the way I want to act in my life. They'll not endure sound doctrine. They'll not endure listening to you. They'll think that you're crackpot. They'll think that you're just a Christian who's trying to get them to convert and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what you are trying to do. You're trying to win them over to Jesus Christ. But they will view it as an infringement. They will view it as something else. They'll follow their own lusts to find teachers who will itch their ears and fulfill their desires. So Paul says, be watchful in all things. You know, it's really hard today to be watchful in everything. There's so many things that you have to watch out for. Every time you turn around, it seems like something new is, is coming up. And you have to be mindful of what it is. I think, I think pastors and have to do a lot of studying just to keep in, up to date on what's going on. One time we were doing a, a program on Guam and I was doing a cult awareness program because of the rise of cults that were coming into Guam. And then I had the opportunity to share that same message with a group of people in, in Hong Kong. I was invited to go over there because cults were starting to come over there. And people were being inundated with these false teachings. And you have to be aware of what's going on. You don't have to believe it, but you have to be somewhat knowledgeable about what's going on so that you can refute it. You don't have to study it, but you just have to be aware of it. You know that when people who are in the Treasury Department and work in the counterfeit department, they don't study counterfeit bills to, so that they can identify a counterfeit bill. They study the real bills. And that's what we have to do. We have to study the real Word of God and know what it says so that when people ask us of the hope that is in us, we can explain it to them. We can give it to them. So we have to be watchful in all things. We have to endure afflictions. Now, I'm not saying that if you go to a foreign country, if you go as a missionary to a foreign land, they're going to beat you and they're going to put you in jail and they're going to put you in a dungeon. And, or if you go to uh, Palau, they're going to to kill you. You know, there, there were headhunters on Palau. I think the last one died in, what, 1958? So you're okay if you want to go to Palau and, and minister there. But the idea is, is that along the way, you're going to have hardships. Along the way, things, life is going to happen. Along the way, people are not going to accept the message that you have. But don't give up. Don't give in. Know that this is part and part of what, part and parcel of what God has called you to do. Endure hardships. They open doors for you. You'd be surprised. They open doors for you. When our daughter passed away last year, I was working as a certified nursing assistant and I took the day off of the day that she died and the next morning I went to work with my client and I walked in and, and my client's wife asked me how, how everything was. And I said, well, my daughter passed away yesterday. And she says, you know, you look so calm about that. Now, my client, without revealing anything, is Jewish. Okay, 
And she said, well, I used to talk to God. And I used to be close with God like this. And she says, well, I started drifting away. She says, but you know what? I've been through some things with my family as well. But you're so peaceful about this. You have such a calm persona about you. How do you do it? And I silently was able to get a little witness in and share with her about, you know, my daughter's, our daughter's faith in Jesus Christ and how that she was sure of everything that was going on in her life and she was sure of where she was going to spend eternity. And each day I go in there, it just opens the door a little bit more. And I was telling them, I was getting ready to come here and I was telling them that, you know, this church has been supporting us for 40 years and she said, that's really amazing. That's really amazing. That's a real testimony for this church that you're able to continue to do that. You endure some affliction sometimes, but you also get to rejoice in the joys when you see things like this happen, when people's hearts are touched by what you're doing. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. But you say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Uh, I can't speak like you do. You know, Moses had a problem about speaking too, but that didn't stop God from using him. Timothy may have been shy and but that didn't stop God from using him. Thomas may have been double-minded, but that didn't stop God from using him. How can God use you? Let me think. We have a friend of ours who's been a missionary for many more years than we have, who lives out in Texas, and he used to be in the same organization that we were with, and then he went with another <clears throat> missionary type of aviation fellowship and, and was instrumental in doing work with them. And then he started working in computers and he found that he was really uh, adept at working with computers. And so he began to work with a translation program for translating the Word of God into different languages. And he's able today to use the skill in his 80s to help translate Bibles into other languages for people who have yet to receive the Word of God. Now, if you're computer illiterate, if you're computer literate, not illiterate, you have an opportunity here to use the technology that you have to be able to get the gospel out to some of these billions of people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have computer skills. What kind of skills do I have? Well, Ask God how he can use you to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in the best way possible. If your life has been touched by Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. Everybody have a testimony? Raise your hand. Amen. If you have a testimony, that is your jumping off point. Remember what Bartimaeus said? Once I was blind, now I see. Who's going to say anything against that? That's your testimony. That is your opportunity to get into that, to talk with that person about Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of interesting as we look at this. The thing that we're communicating is the gospel, and the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And as long as we're able to share that good news with people and open doors in their lives, we know that whether they accept Christ or not with our meeting with them, that we are planting seeds in their lives, that someone else may come along and water, and 
God's going to get the increase. You know, there's a, there's a gentleman who's by the name of Thomas Rayner. Uh, I don't know if you know him, but some may. Uh, he used to be the dean of Billy Graham's School of, Ministry, of Missions, Evangelism, and Church Growth at Southern Seminary. And he wrote a book called The Book of Church Growth. There you go. You heard it here. And now he is the, pre, uh, the CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. And he wrote in his book, The Book of Church Growth, this was back a couple of years ago, he says, few churches are reaching the new pagans of our nation. Most churches, at best, are reaching the children and close relatives of church members. Sadly, too many churches are reaching few or none for Christ. Now, I know that you've been inundated this morning with statistics. And it's my turn to give you some statistics. <laughs> Here's one for you. This is from the Pew Research Center. Uh, it's a 2015 survey. And it says in 2007, they did a survey of the number of Christians in America. And of the 227 million adults, 78% or 178 million professed to be Christians. In 2014, the number of adult population that they surveyed was 245 million, with 71% claiming to be Christians, 173 million. They also reported that there are, was a rapid go growth of religious unaffiliated, the nonies, or knowns as they're called. In 2007, there were 19 million. Okay, hold on to your seats for the next number. In 2014, there's 56 million. 56 million adults are unaffiliated with a church. That is second only to the number of evangelical Protestants in the United States. So is our work done yet for reaching the lost or reaching the people who are unchurched? Obviously, if there are 56 million people out there who have yet to hear or yet to make a commitment to Christ, our work is far from done. So how are we going to go about reaching 56 million unchurched people? Can you remember what the prime directive is? Do you know what the prime directive? You're studying the book of Acts. What's the prime directive? Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power after that of the Holy Ghost, and you shall be what? Witnesses. Like our brother said this morning, that word is kind of hard to do, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to be one who goes out and does the work of an evangelist, does the work of going out and sharing my faith with somebody else. If my life has been so dramatically changed, once I was blind, now I was see. once I was an addict, now I'm no longer an addict, once I was lost, now I am found, isn't that something you want to share with people? Isn't that something that you want to communicate? Once I was, now I am, and it's because of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, there's that little verse, Acts 1-6, that we try and skip over, because in that particular verse, the disciples asked Jesus if he was going to set up his kingdom now. 
And Jesus said, ah, we're not ready for that yet. But there's a lot of people who are Christian who are ready for the kingdom of God to be set up right now. Look at the world today and they say, come quickly. Even, even now, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Look at all the things that are going on. You know, we think that things are bad now. And we may have think that, thought, excuse me, that things were bad back in Jesus' time. But you know, they're going to get worse. They're going to get worse before they get better. This is only the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, some would say. So we can't be Acts 1-6 Christians. We need to be Acts 1-8 Christians. We need to be going out there sharing our faith with, with others who have yet to hear. There's 56 million people out there that have yet to hear. And this is not just about evangelism. It's also about spiritual warfare. You know, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. There is an enemy out there that doesn't like us and is doing everything in his power to stop us from communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I like what uh, one guy wrote. He wrote, uh, all war is based upon deception. Yeah, it's pretty true. All war is based upon deception. When you think about spiritual warfare and think about dealing with the enemy, what do you think about? Satan goes about like a what? For those, say that a little bit louder, they didn't hear you. Roaring lion. A roaring lion. Making a lot of noise, but not really doing anything. Just to frighten you. You know what happens when a lion roars? Animals will do one of two things. I mean, if you go out and pastor, I know, does hunting. He goes out and there's a deer, and the deer will do what? Freeze right there. When he hears a sound or sees a headlight or something like that, it'll freeze. And that's what Christians do when they hear the sound of Satan rustling in the trees. They'll freeze. You know, God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. And you think about it, he's also given us the mind of Christ. So when we hear these rumblings of Satan, we've got to be responsive to those. We've got to remember that we have the mind of Christ. The other thing we need to do is seize the day. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the day and put very little trust in tomorrow. You know, I'll be a witness tomorrow. I'll tell my friend at work tomorrow. I'll tell that person in the hospital, or I'll go visit that person in the hospital tomorrow. There's a lot of tomorrows that will never come for people. There's a little verse in the scripture that we memorized when we were in Bible school. James 4.14. And when we were going through Bible school, we had to memorize what we called dum-dums. This was one of them. And so my wife and I had to come up with this idea of how we were going to memorize this verse. And so we created a little limerick for it. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for, what is life? It is even a little vapor that appeareth for a while and then vanishes away. Forty years seems like a long time, but it's just a drop in the bucket. It's just a, maybe, no, a little faster than that. Time is not one of our friends. 
Time is one of our enemies. Time moves whether we move with it or not. And seizing the day means that we take advantage of God's appointments when he puts them in front of us to reach and talk to people about Jesus Christ. We can't wait for tomorrow. We can't wait hoping that that person that we're supposed to meet will be there tomorrow. I think the other thing that we need to do is, is maybe just summarize our, our approach here is that there are three things that we need to do. And if you get nothing else from what I say, these are the three things you need to take with you. The first one is we need to preach the word. He says, preach the word. I want to read it to you out of the amplified version. I want you to grab a hold of the meaning of this. Now, my wife uses the Amplified Bible. And so it takes her a little bit longer to get through some of these scriptures than it takes those who read the King James. So I'm going to be here for a moment, okay? <clears throat> In the Amplified, 2 Timothy 4.2 reads thus. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you, as a preacher of the word, are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. And convincing them, rebuking and correcting them, warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and in teaching. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, don't we? There's a lot of people that still need to hear so we have to preach the word, whether it is favorable or unfavorable. Paul also told Timothy, he said, do, the, do this one other thing. He said, train others. You know, I'm excited to see that a church is able to create its own second generation. Where people who have grown up in the life of the church are assuming responsibilities within the life of that church. And that's always great. The things that you have heard and seen of me, commit thou to faithful men who will be able to do likewise. We have to be able to reproduce. And that's one of the things that's going to help the kingdom of God grow, is our ability to reproduce, is our ability to be fruitful and to multiply, to expand the kingdom of God. And I think the final thing that I want you to do to here is that we need to endure. Endure. When you've done all, Paul says what? Stand. When you've done all, stand. You know, if you're, you know, you know hurricanes, so I don't have to try and give you any points of comparison, but you know what it's like to endure a hurricane. You know what it's like to try and go out and batten down the hatches, so to speak, when the winds are howling outside. But yet in the midst of it all, sometimes you find yourself having to do that. You have to go out and you have to put shutters on the, the windows where they've been blown off and try and put them back on, even against all the odds when the wind is pulling one way and you're pushing another. And I think that's the same that holds true for us as Christians when we go out and share the gospel. We have to be willing to endure in the face of all of the winds and the rain and the uh, hardships that we have to endure in order that the gospel of Jesus Christ can get out and do what it's required to do. 
So is it over yet? No, it's not quite over. Maybe it's not going to be over for another hundred years. Maybe another thousand years. You know, it ain't over until the Lord comes. And when he comes, he comes. And then we can cease from our labor. I want to close with one final story. and It's just a real brief one. In the early 1900s, you know, two centuries ago, I guess, yeah, there was a missionary who had been in Africa for a number of years, and he came back, and he was on a boat, a steamboat, coming back from Africa. And he had been with his missionary organization for 30, 35 years, and he had served the Lord faithfully in the country. And when he got back onto the, got into sight of the harbor, New York Harbor, where he was landing, he began to hear the sounds of what sounded like a band playing. And he thought, oh, well, my mission organization has sent someone to welcome me home. And he got a little bit closer and he saw some of the banners that were flying. He began to think, I don't, I don't recognize that group, you know. I don't recognize that. And, and as he got a little bit closer, he began to read the signs and he began to see it was a welcome back for Teddy Roosevelt, who had just come back from Africa from a hunting safari. And he got off the boat after everybody had sort of left and all of the fanfare and hoopla had resigned. And nobody was there from his mission society to greet him. So he went to his hotel, found himself a hotel, went to a hotel, got down on his knees and, and cried out to God. God, I've done so much for you over the years. And I figured when I came back, my mission society would be here to welcome me back and embrace me and tell me how much they loved me and appreciated me. And he went on for a few moments and God waited till he was done and finally spoke to his heart. And he said just a few words. You're not home yet. We're not done yet until God calls us home. And when we're called home, we'll know we finished our job. And then we know that hopefully we'll hear those words from the Lord. Well done, now, good and faithful servant. So my challenge to you today is quite simple. Preach the word. Teach others. Endure hardships for the kingdom of God. Because it ain't over yet. Let's pray.